Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph brings part two of his message entitled, When Things Go Wrong. We're in Genesis chapter 16. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. Now we begin to move on to talking about the woman, Hagar. This is a real person. It's real easy to read through this story and skip over Hagar because as we're reading through these, these, these chapters of Genesis, we're talking about the man who's held up as the role model of faith. And I think the Lord shows the rotten thing that's a part of his life as well as the good things. So he'll give hope to us because there's always a rotten side to us. And, and God wants to say, I'm not through with you. I'm not giving up on you. But it's so easy because it's so much about Abram and Sarai to just kind of just skip past Hagar and not think about this is a human being who's been mistreated since probably childhood. She's a slave. She's been handed off to this man that she doesn't even know at a time that his wife is being taken away from him. There's obvious reasons what, what is going on. And now she's having to work in this household. She moves away from wherever she used to live. So she's away from her family. She has no hope of ever seeing them again. And then she's passed off as chattel. Why don't you sleep with my slave girl so I can have a baby? And she's not even considered as though she's going to have the rights of motherhood in this thing. And then as some sort of an afterthought, uh, Hagar is allowed to call herself the second wife of, of Abram. And then when she starts to feel pretty good about herself and go, I, I have the baby, I'm going to have the baby, and I'm starting to have some rights here, and I'm important, and, and, and you're kind of turning into some wrinkled up old person, and maybe he likes me better than he likes you, because that had to be a part of the equation. Uh, then all of a sudden, Sarah starts to get just blow out with anger. And it says here that she treated her harshly in the end of verse 6, and Hagar ran away. What would you do if you were Hagar? Would you run away or would you stay there? Because if you know the environment, running away almost means death for sure. We know that she ran in the direction of Egypt. We can tell that in the next couple of verses. Uh, we know that, that if you could make good time and, and, and you were well protected, it would be about a 13-day journey back to Egypt. But you're going through a desert and there's no water and there's scorpions that can kill you and there's snakes that can kill you. And this is a time when there's very limited policing. And we know one thing about the ancient world was travel in the daytime was dangerous and it was certain doom at nighttime, and here's a lady all by herself out there trying to plug away through the desert. Uh, what would you do? Would it be the right thing to go and take your chances, or would it be the right thing to stay back with Abram and Sarah and take your chances there? Uh, pretty difficult circumstance, but uh, she, she goes running away, and what we're going to find is that she can't escape God's mercy. And again, I want to bring it back to you. What is there in your life that you would like to run from? What circumstance has appeared on the horizon that you had nothing to do with that threatens to overwhelm you and you'd like to just split. What's happened just because, well, maybe something got left over from the old style and the old way you used to live before you knew the Lord and now it's cropped up in your life and, and you just don't know what to do and you're scared out of your mind and you just want to flat run away from the circumstance. Well, whatever that is, whatever is going on, what you and I need to know is that we cannot run away from God's mercy. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And the whole New Testament is about God forgiving our sins and coming to us in mercy when we deserve just the opposite of mercy. God is there to be with us and be with us for the long haul. Does this make sense? Now as we get into it, we've got to start to think about Hagar. Probably wasn't a believer at this point. And here this lady has an encounter with God. The next question is, where are you going? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. And this is how we know she was going to Egypt from Canaan along the way to Egypt is a place called Shur. And so she was moving south back toward Egypt. And it says, The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? 
And where are you going? Well, I am running away from my mistress, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Ishmael. And the word Ishmael means literally, you ought to write this in your Bible, God shall hear. And then he says, This son of yours will be a wild one. Actually, the, the, the scripture literally says, He'll be a wild ass of a man. And no man will be able to tame him. And it says, He'll be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. Now, who are the brothers of Ishmael? Well, the, the, the Jews, because Abram was going to have another son through Sarai sometime later, and that son would be named Isaac, and he'd be the father of all the Jewish people. And, and if you read the Koran, you'll find out that every uh, Arabic person in the world traces their lineage all the way back to Ishmael. And the Arabs say, the Holy Land is ours because Ishmael was the first son of Abraham and the land was promised to Abram. And the Jews will say, no, it's ours because Ishmael wasn't supposed to be there. And it was through Isaac that the promise was supposed to come. And, and it says here that he'll not get along with his brothers. These guys have been at war for the last 3,500 years. And, and, and this thing just goes on and on and on. But I want you to see about Hagar, that God looks on Hagar as a person. God cares about her. He follows up on her, and he won't let her run away. And he reaches out to her when she's off toward destruction, because where Hagar is headed is to die. And that brings me to ask this question, where are you going? You know, I see so many times people who, who, who run away from a circumstance. They're, they're, they've come to believe in God. They've come to have a confidence that He's there, and, and, and they begin to trust in Him enough that they let Him in on their decisions, and, and decisions are going pretty well, and, and, and life is working pretty good, and, and you go and you start that business, and, and, and you're doing really well, and then you come up against some problem where the, the bank suddenly wants to dry up the line of credit or something, and so you just get mad and go into self-destructive mode, and I'm out of here. And you know what? Being out of here and on the run is only going to cripple you. Or you're a person that has, has, has moved into the Lord and uh, maybe you lived a promiscuous lifestyle before that you were a Christian. And now you came and you, ended up, you got married to somebody and, and, and then suddenly everything's not working real good. And, and so you go, I'm out of here. And there's such a temptation to go back to the old lifestyle, to go back to the old ways. For some of us, it's I'm going to go back into my hard shell of pride and I'm not going to let anybody into my life. For some of us, to go back to the old life is anger and the sense of control. For some of us it may be alcohol, whatever. But I think God will always come to you and say, hey, where are you going? I'm trying to bless you. This woman Hagar, she got caught in a lawnmower. Here's these two people that are supposed to be great examples of faith and they have a dysfunctional marriage and they pull her into their party. And now she's having to, to basically bear the result of their confusion. And she's going, I'm out of here. And God's going, that's not good enough. You go back there and I'll bless you. Notice the words that he said to her. They're hard words. You look at them and you go, oh my gosh, why would God even do that? Verse 9. It says, the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Return and submit. Where are you going? Where are you headed? Return and submit. See, we live in a world that that wants to center everything on every individual. And ultimately, society can't even work that way. If we're all just running away from each other, we've lost K-1. 
character counts for something, and character has to do with the ability to, to remain steady under pressure, actually. You get that out of the New Testament. To remain steady under pressure. Return and submit. Return and submit. Here's a scripture reference. Write this one down. Where it says the word submit. Circle that word. Circle the word return and circle the word submit. And write this, word, this, this scripture reference. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 7. And I'll just, I'll just quote them to you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He'll exalt you in due time. He'll lift you up in due time. Return and submit. Go back to her. I know she's a turkey. I know she's giving you a hard time. But if you'll trust me, God's hand, and you'll humble yourself under my hand in that terrible circumstance, I'll lift you up at the proper time. I'll bless you. And then verse 7 says, Casting all your anxiety on the Lord, for He cares for you. Go back there and, and realize that you can let Him in on the problem, that He can bear the burden. And you go back and, 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 and handle it, you and God together. There's a partnership now. That if you're wrapped up in Christ, you and He together can handle this thing. Something mystical is trying to happen in your life. Something supernatural is trying to happen in your life. God wants to join you. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. You know, like a yoke that's the thing the oxen pulls a cart with or a plow with. Take my yoke and learn of me. And what's he saying? Let's go partners in this. There's two collars in this ox collar. Let's pull this load together. You go back and you submit, and I'll be there with you, and I'll bless you. And he tells Hagar, I'm going to bless you with so many descendants that they're not, they're not countable. You're going to be an honored woman for the rest of human history. And she is. She's seen as the, as the mother of all the, 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 all the Arab nations. And so Hagar makes the right decision. She trusts the Lord enough to go back. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't think she's a believer. There's no evidence she was a believer up until this moment. God reaches out real far for her. This is the very first scripture in the whole Bible where it even mentions an angel. The angel of the Lord appears to her. Where are you going? Where are you running? Come back. And she has an encounter with God. She's supposed to name the son. Uh, the Lord will see. And then she goes and talks about the Lord in a special way, about the God who sees me. Look at the next uh, verse, verse 13. And the question that I ask is, how do you memorialize God? How do you I'll let other people in on what God has done in your life. How can we best memorialize God in a world that's tired of hearing about people preaching at Him, in a world that's tired of hearing Christianity related to politics? How do you let the word out that there's a God who cares about you? There's a God who chases you down when you're about to wreck your life and, and He'll make a difference in you. It says, Thereafter, Hagar referred to the Lord who had spoken to her as the God who sees me. Underline it, the God who sees me. What's she saying by that? Well, she's saying that there's a God and He knows I'm around and He knows my needs. He's the God who sees me. In fact, you might want to write a scripture reference there, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. And it says basically there that God sees everything we ever do. And, you know, you can read that two ways. You can, you can read that as God's up in heaven just looking after every stinking thing you do. He's going to catch you in it. Or you can realize that this is really wonderful. God's got his eye on me, you know? I have this little grandson, and he's, uh, he's just 24 hours of energy in every day, and you just can't stop him, and you just got to keep a lookout for everything that, that goes on. And uh, we went to my son's house the other night. They were getting ready, packing up to go to Japan, and they're, they're on a mission team right now. And so my wife, she gets all the cold medicine, you know, all the, all the little pills of this and the pills of that and the pills of everything. We take them over there, and, and, and she puts them on the sofa, and, or she gives them to my son, and he puts them on the sofa, and then they're off. And pretty soon, there's Isaac over there opening pill bottles. 
Now here's Grandpa over here keeping an eye on Isaac. Now, does Grandpa keep an eye on Isaac so I can catch him doing something wrong? Or I keep an eye on Isaac so I can save his life? The scripture says, there's a God who sees me. And this woman, Hagar, is careful that whenever she talks about God, says she referred to the Lord who had spoken to her as the God who sees me. Now, think about this now. Just, and don't get all mad at me for saying this. But here's, here's Hagar, and she's, she's sitting down at Starbucks, and she's with one of her friends, and, and the person says, oh, God damn it. And she says, wait, wait, do you mean the God who sees me, damn it? Or are you talking about some other God? You, you want the God who always is looking after us and, and, and trying to care about us to damn somebody? Is that what you're saying? You, you, you catch it? She didn't just say God. She always would find a way of saying, well, this is the God who met my need. This is the God who cares about people. This is the God who's, who's into the, the needs that we have. And, and just by the way that she used her terminology, that she was careful to say. I, I had somebody tell me not too long ago that we, we should probably stop saying, oh, I'm a Christian. Because when you say you're a Christian, then you look like all those guys on TV. And this person was saying, it's a mouthful. You ought to say, oh, I'm a believer in the Jesus of the New Testament. Because he stands out differently than some of the haranguing that goes out there or some of the money grubbing that goes out there. Here's Jesus who comes in mercy and love and grace to people and dies for their sins on the cross. I'm a believer in him. How do we memorialize God? How do we let people know that we're, that we're followers of, of, of the Lord? A couple weeks before my vacation, I got asked to go downtown and and, and pray at a, an event in one of the companies in our, in our community. In fact, they were having like their 100-year anniversary, and they wanted me to go and pray. And I went down there, and I got a little tour of the offices and all that. And, and I noticed that the person that goes to our church that works in that company, there's actually several, but one of them, I just saw a New Testament on, on their desk. It was just over there in the corner by the telephone. But anybody who ever went in that office would know, well, that person's one of those believers. This person found a way of letting people know, I have some hope in my heart. And the idea being that when they got a problem, they might come and ask me. See, the surveys are saying that we, we need to get into loving people before we can talk to them about the Lord. We need to get into friendships with people, and, but they need to have a handle also. There needs to be a way of somebody going, oh, I see a bumper sticker in your car. What, what's that all about? You know, I went to, um, did some business with some people a few years ago, and and at the end of the deal, I didn't know what to do. I, I tried to share the Lord with them, and I wasn't getting very far. There were three men involved. And, and so when, when it was, the whole thing took several days to do, and um, at the end of the project, I, I went and gave them a copy of the book that I wrote, Let Go of the Ring. It's just the history of what God did in our churches. In a way, it's a memorial of God. But I just, I just wanted to, to share. And, and I gave them this book, and I, I bumped into one of those guys yesterday, two and a half or three years later. And... and um, and we're just talking and what have you. And, and he goes, hey, you know that book you gave me? And I go, yeah. He goes, I never read it. <laughs> I go, oh, that bums me out. He goes, no, my mom took it away from me. I go, what do you mean she took it away? Well, I loaned it to her and she, she won't give it back. She really likes it. And, and uh, you know, she read it. And she started going to this church in Waianae. And uh, he goes, you know, something's changing. It's, it's good. What's going on in our life? And, and then and he starts to tell me all about... Uh, uh, I see you guys got these stickers all over on all these cars and stuff. And, and then he knew about Hope Chapel Nanakuli. And then, the, then his buddy was with him. And he goes, and are, are you guys the guys that are in Farrington? Because he talk, starts talking about New Hope. And, you know, why? Because Christians are letting people know that there's something that's going on in their life without pounding them over the head with it. 
She memorialized God just by the way that she was careful to, re to, to revere him in, in her speech. She wasn't saying, God damn it. She probably wasn't one of these people that used the Lord's name in vain because that is, and we're not supposed to talk that way. And she wasn't going, oh my God. Because we make light of the Lord's name. When, oh my God, this, and oh my God, that. Be careful of your speech. This is the Lord who's changed my life. This is the Lord who met me when I was down. This is the Lord who made a difference for me. She was careful to say that. Does that make sense to you? So much so that they went and named the well where the angel had found her. It doesn't say that she did this. It says, she said, I have seen the one who sees me. And when she says, I have seen, the word seen there is, I have comprehended the one who sees me. I've become a believer. I've figured it out. And I'm, I'm putting my confidence in the God who's watching after me. And she was apparently so good at this that later on the well was named Bir Lahairoi, which means, if you look in your notes at the bottom of the page, the well of the living one who sees me. Is that they had figured out that, that something happened in her life and so the neighbors or, or her family or somebody renamed the well after the experience that she had with God. Is that cool? Got time for one more story? This is a, kind of a cool one. I really like this. One of the guys in our staff, and I'm not going to say who it is, and I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant because I don't want to. I don't want to blow his cover, but uh, he's sitting right here. <laughs> well, this goes out on tape, you know. You got to do the spy thing. Anyway, he was at a at a restaurant the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's a restaurant that he likes to go to a lot. I love the place, and the people there are really nice, and the food is really great, and. Uh, but there's this one person that works in this restaurant that just stands out amongst all the other really nice people. And, and if you go in there, this guy just makes you feel really super comfortable. You feel like you're a celebrity or something. And it's not that he's fawning all over you because the guy is actually very funny. And he just, but he just, you're just happy that you went there. You're happy for your day because you went to this place. And so my friend goes in the restaurant and he sees a guy and, and the guy's off his mark. He's just not himself. And my friend starts watching him and watching him and Pretty soon he realizes he's just not himself today. And, and so uh, he says, how are you doing? The guy goes, oh, I'm fine. And he goes, um, no, you're not. Well, what's going on? And he goes, it shows, huh? He goes, yeah, well, I'm trying to keep it from showing. Yeah, well, it shows. And then he tells him his woes and what goes on. And, and my friend says to him, well, you just go do your job, and I'll do my job. And your job is to make people feel good about themselves, and you're pretty good at it. So you just go do your job. I'll do my job. And, and, and he goes, well, what's your job? Well, my job is to pray for people because I'm a Christian. And Christians pray. And so uh, uh, you go do your job, and I'm, it's okay with you if I do my job while you're doing your job. And the guy goes, yeah. And so it's not like he slapped him on the forehead and made him fall down or anything like that. <laughs> Nor is it like he got real somber and said, Let's pray now, brother. <laughs> he just said, you do your job, I'll do my job. And you go off in your way. And I can't wait to hear what happens when he goes down there because I believe God answers prayers like that. Are you making pay with this thing? And I think that if we're careful to find ways of letting the world know gently that when we were at the point of despair in our life, there was a God who came to us because he sees and he cares any ministers, that other people at the point of need in their life are going to come and say, hey, give me some of that. I need to know. You know, the church is supposed to be, the Bible says, salt in the earth. What does salt do? It flavors and it preserves. The church is supposed to be like a light in the world. 
Well, you can be the smallest light anywhere and you show up in darkness. The Bible never even says that the church is supposed to be loud. Salt is quiet. Light is quiet. There's room for the Hagars in this world to make their mark. There's room for the people who don't know a whole lot, uh, maybe got jammed into a tight spot, and God rescued them, and the whole message of our life is, there's a God who sees, and He cares, and I think He cares about you as much as He cares about me. Am I making sense? You forgive me for my goddammit thing? I always get a letter if I say something like that. I get a letter. So like, you shouldn't do that. I always get mad when I hear those people who go, well, God's last name is not Dammit. That's not, that's not going to get the job done. Yeah? That's not going to do it. Oh, oh, which God are you talking about? Are you talking about the God who helped me get off of drugs? Is that the one you want to damn those people? That would, that would you know, if you say it right, that would, God got you off of drugs? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you that you love us so much, that you care about us, that you're there. Lord, if, if we're the people in the, in the message tonight, we're, we're relating to Abram and Sarai and, and, and we're going, oh God, I know I messed up so bad. Fear came in and I compromised and I messed up so bad. Then, Lord, what we're going to take home is that you're with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us that you forgive us, that you're merciful. Lord, if we're somebody like Sarai and we're, we're living in a place where somebody else is making our life miserable, then what we want to know is that you're willing to hear us and to see us and to see our misery. And, and, and if we'll humble ourselves under your hand, that you'll lift us up and that you'll bail us out, that you'll rescue us. God, we want whatever it is that you have that's good for us in our life. And God, all of us would like to be able to see people that we love, our, our neighbors, our physical, geographical neighbors that live down the street from us, but also our neighbors that are like our relational neighbors, our work neighbors, our friend neighbors. We'd like them to know what we've come to know of you. Lord, not that we're on a crusade. It's just that we care about them. We love them. And Lord, we'd like to find ways in our lives of memorializing you. That, that when, when, when they're hungry, when they're hurting, that they'd know that we know something that might help them and that we'd be in a position to pass it on, Lord that your grace and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy would flow out of our lives into the lives of others. God, thank you that we've found you and that you found us. And keep your eyes closed for a minute and we're going to just pray one more time. And it's a prayer that says, God, if you're dealing mercy, I need some. If you're there to help people who are hurting, well, here am I. And so if you want to pray and just open your heart up to God, I'd like to lead you in a prayer to, to do that. And, but I want to know that we're praying together. If you want to pray with me, I want you to tell me that you, want to, that you intend to pray with me by this one simple thing. Everybody got their eyes closed in this room. I want you just to look at me. And as you look at me, you're saying, Pastor, I want to join you and invite the Lord into my life. I see one person looking up. Who else? You need God's mercy. You need God's peace. You need God's kindness in your life. You want to join me in a prayer. Okay, pray this prayer with me. God, if you see everything, then you must see what I've been going through. And if you care about people who have their lives broken, then you must care about somebody like me. And so I just want to open my heart up to you and my life to you and say, would you come and join yourself to me and become a partner with me in this life of mine? And you can be the senior partner. 
God, would you come and begin to put your thoughts into my mind? Let your spirit communicate your love to my spirit. God, put a peace down deep inside my heart that, that somehow overcomes the turmoil and the fear and the anxiety that I feel. And God, teach me about you. Help me as I get into a Bible. Help me as I, I talk to other people that I, I find your truth and your strength and, and the power that you have to make my life something better because I want to know it. God, I pray that you'd forgive me for all the wrong things I've done in my life and that you'd set me free from the habits that are tearing me up. God, make this life of mine into something that's good, that's joyous, that's happy because of you. And I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe.